Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America, powered by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Jesse Allen with you here. Thanks so much for joining us today as we're going to be heading back to the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri for today's program and listen to more of the conversations that I had during the show. Coming up, we're going to talk with Andrew Brandt from the U.S. Grains Council, Stephen Nicholson with Bank, Aaron Rogie from Senex as well. First up, though, on the program here today, kicking things off, I sat down and had a conversation with the chair of the United Soybean Board, Megan Kaiser. Here is that interview. I know fall harvest uh, wrapping up for many folks. I, I assume you guys have wrapped up on your operation here in Missouri as well. How things fare this year? We did. Actually, we, we finished relatively early, middle of October. It was, it's been very dry, and uh, it was a dry planting for us, dry growing season, and a dry harvest. So we, I don't think we had uh, maybe one morning we were a little bit delayed. So uh, we're hoping for some, some nice snowfall and, and rain over the winter to uh, replenish our soils with some moisture. But, um, you know, honestly, we, we can't complain too much. We thought it was going to be a really rough harvest for us. Uh, but thanks to good soil management practices and genetics, um, Genetics, we were able to fare relatively well on on our yields. Yeah, and you mentioned you know some of the the dryness. I, it, it was kind of like that variability word was thrown around a lot this yeah, year, wasn't it? Absolutely, throughout Missouri in particular. You know, you'd have some fields that that did well and, mm-hmm. and had were able to hold on to that moisture, but other areas that really de- were devastated by the drought. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Let's talk about uh, some of the things that the checkoff is doing here with the United Soybean Board, and I know there's been a lot of attacks on checkoffs as a whole here in recent months, and so let's talk about some of the things that the checkoff is doing that, that maybe folks don't understand that you guys are doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Because uh, you guys are doing a lot to expand markets for U.S. soybeans, right? Absolutely. So the United Soybean Board is composed of 77 farmer leaders, volunteers from all over the country, representing um, you know 515,000 plus U.S. soy farmers in the United States. And this year, you know, going back to Commodity Classic in March, we're focused on wins and celebrating some of the great things that the checkoff has done. You know, the, one of the first things that I think of is 30 years ago, uh, farmers through the checkoff kind of got together and said, hey, what's something we can do with this oil? And, you know, today, um, biodiesel and now renewable diesel and now sustainable aviation fuel, all of that kind of rested on the shoulders of the fact that we made the investment collectively as farmers saying, what can we do with this oil? And today, now we look at um, the opportunity to really be a solution, uh, a green drop-in replacement fuel um, to replace fossil fuels. That's something the world is asking for. And U.S. soy farmers um, are, are ready to meet that challenge. We're also looking at bio-based products. Mm-hmm. And what are what are other challenges that we could solve with this oil? Um, so I'm, I think about we, we in five years ago, we were, again, farmers were meeting and, and said, hey, what's one of the problems in the world? And we're... Well, straws. Mm-hmm. Straws are in the news. <laughs> you know, plastic <laughs> straws. And then all of a sudden we see paper straws popping up everywhere. Um, I have two small children, a three-year-old and an eight-year-old. And um, I don't know if you've ever had a three-year-old with a paper straw and a smoothie in your back seat, <laughs> but it didn't go well. And so there is a demand and a need for a, a good um, good straw. So we developed a soy straw. It feels like plastic. Um, it's biodegradable in 90 days instead of right in your cup. And, you know, that's just one small thing. Is that going to change the world of soy and, mm-hmm. and, and demand? Maybe not, but it's one way that we show that, you know, U.S. soy can be a part of a sustainable solution that's renewable. Um, we look at tires, uh, asphalt, asphalt. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. and even tennis shoes uh, with Skechers and Okabashi using soy as a, an ingredient to make, you know, meet their sustainability claims. And so, um, and at the same time, we continue to be, you know, animal feed is our number one customer. Mm -hmm. And so we continue to work on the nutrition and the profile um, to make sure that we're developing or that we're we're sustainably delivering 
um, you know, great animal feed. And I just think a lot of the great research that goes into all of these different, you know, products that you mentioned, that's, that's a big part of the checkoff as well, is not only looking to find new markets and ec- export opportunities and helping with that and everything, but just the research going into developing some of this new technology and finding new uses for soy. Absolutely. I mean, it's great because farmers can kind of dream big and come up with ideas of, hey, what about if we had bale wrap? Well, you know what? We're not we're not experts in how to create plastic wrap, uh, but because we have the investment power of working collectively through the checkoff, we're able to find the best researchers who say, "Yep, I know a little bit about that." Uh, we, you know, at, at Commodity Classic, we uh, showcased our innovation challenge, where basically we kind of just put it out there: "What can you do with soy?" We got everything from pharmaceuticals to kitty litter of ways that uh, they could replace you know, products that are less green um, or, you know, that we could have develop a soy version that is maybe less toxic than a previous version in kitty litter. Um, So I think that we're continuing to develop new ideas and to come up with ways that we can continue to engage in, in, you know, daily life uh, that everybody wants to be more green, wants to be, mm-hmm. you know, more sustainable, wants to have less of a carbon footprint. And U.S. Soy can, can really help, uh, you know, address that challenge. Definitely. Definitely. Any other thoughts you would share on the checkoff, just some of the wins we're talking about and just r- reminders for folks as they, they hear a lot of a lot of the things, the noise surrounding all of our checkoff programs in this country, not just USB, but ev- everything else. I mean, what would you say to folks to just remind them to think about with the checkoff dollars that they're well, spending? So, soybean farmers should be proud. You should be incredibly proud of your checkoff and, and your fellow farmers who, who take the time to be on this board. One of the things that uh, is just a blaring example to me of, of something that, you know, Kaiser Family Farms couldn't have possibly engaged in an infrastructure um, you know, project in a way that we could actually improve waterway infrastructure on the, the lower Mississippi. But the checkoff could. Again, farmers saw a gap and said, hey, what, what is the way that we can really move the needle? And so we said, We're, we, went, we want to put $2 million um, up and Soy Transportation Coalition help us find a project that really moves the needle, improves basis, or makes that transportation more reliable. And Soy Transportation Coalition, Mike Steenhook, worked with our staff and then the American Soybean Association as well. And that $2 million investment was met with a $245 million investment from the federal government and the state of Louisiana to dredge the lower Mississippi. Uh, we were able to engage through that research investment and in planning, engineering, and designing and saying, hey, if we do this, if we deepen the Mississippi River, we can uh, improve the return on investment to U.S. soy farmers, making our infrastructure more reliable mm-hmm. and get our beans to the global marketplace uh, through the Gulf of Mexico uh, more sustainably and load ships a little bit deeper. And so we can't do that those types of things alone. But when farmers get together and we, we look at the landscape and we say, we can make a difference here um, and really move the needle, that's powerful and it's exciting and really it's... Um, empowering that life doesn't just happen to farmers, that we can lead the way and and build a stronger agriculture industry. That's a conversation with Megan Kaiser from the United Soybean Board at the NAFB convention. We'll be back with more on AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel right after this. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back. When your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful, pain-reducing prescription medicines. But most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster Everyday Products, powered locally by Cenex. Jesse Allen back with you here, and we head back to the recent NAFB convention in Kansas City for another conversation, this time with Andrew Brandt with the U.S. Grains Council here on AOA. Andrew, good to uh, see you and have a conversation. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me on this morning, uh, Jesse. Looking forward to this and uh, appreciate everything you do to promote agriculture and explain how the industry is working and what's going on. Well, thank you, and uh, we appreciate your time. Let's uh, talk about the recently announced Regional Agricultural Promotion Program from USDA, RAP, as many people are calling it. Uh, USDA came out with this $1.3 billion program to assist in marketing commodities overseas and more. Uh, talk about your perspective, U.S. Grains Council's perspective on this announcement from USDA. Well, we welcome the announcement. We're very excited about it. Um, we are one of the cooperators that potentially should, or I should say, can compete for that money and then mm-hmm. use it to run our programs overseas. Um, this money is very similar to what is known as... Uh, FMD um, and MAP programming in the Farm Bill. Um, It's also similar to ATP funding, which is what President Trump uh, authorized, along with some of the payments to farmers, he authorized ATP funds to help promote products during the trade wars back Mm -hmm. in 18 and 19. Um, So what this money allows us to do is us and other cooperators who leverage this money, we can go to other countries and promote American exports. We at the Grains Council focus on corn, sorghum, barley, and ethanol. Um, but different cooperators will, you know, all have their specific product. Um, but it's very important that we can do this because as, you know, we have to compete with other countries for our exports. And corn, one of our big competitors is Brazil. And we have to go and develop relationships. What we do with the council is usually long-term. Um, you know, the programs we're operating in Africa today, uh, in India, Southeast Asia, the payoff in the export markets there will hopefully be open. You can't ever really say exactly what year they will open, but it'll take a while. So mm-hmm. this RAP funding helps us run more programs uh, in these target markets for the future that, you know, farmers 15, 20 years from now will hopefully get to reap the benefits of. 
let's talk about some of those target markets and, and talk a little more in general about exports and, and the status of our exports here. You know, we hear a lot, obviously, our farmers and ranchers hear a lot about, oh, we sold corn to Mexico or we sold to China, this and that. I know there's a lot of emerging markets out there, though, that we are, are working on becoming better trade partners with. I think Southeast Asia, Africa, you mentioned. There's a lot of opportunity out there for U.S. grains, isn't there, Andrew? Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, when USDA announces those sales, um, they are typically the ones that make the, make the headlines you hear about are China, Mexico. Mexico is the number, big number one yeah. for corn. China is number two, occasionally is number one. Um, those are very important, and the export market can certainly help drive the price. Um, but, you know, the issues with China, which we don't have time to get into, but as we, you know, this is not a secret. Everybody's trying to diversify as well as just gain, uh, you know, trade growth in other parts of the world to deliver more value to their farmers here. Um, we have to go and compete with that. You know, we I, Brazil is a very uh, capable competitor of ours, and we're going to have to go uh, around the world and compete and show why U.S. corn is better. Um this is a major part of that that will enable us to go do that, these RAP funds. Definitely, definitely. Um, talk to me as well about just some of the different commodities that we're looking at beyond the typical corn, sorghum. I know DDGs are obviously a big right. you know, byproduct. You mentioned ethanol, barley, a lot of these things you guys work with with U.S. Grains Council. What are, what are some of those other commodities and products that really stand out to you that, that have a lot of opportunity on the export front? I think, and uh, USDA has spoken to this, but I think some of the specialty crops that aren't kind of the big program crops people are used to here in the U.S., um, but, you know, al there's almonds and mm -hmm. some fresh fruits and vegetables that we increasingly are becoming competitive at. Um, there's different, you know, the Meat Export Federation um, specialty meat cuts, stuff like that um, is still developing, um, and it's all about value add. Um, you know, it takes a long time to kind of get into these markets and build those relationships. So this wrap money will, you know, mm -hmm. all of us have to compete for it, just like we do for MAP and FMD funding. Sure. Um, but uh, it'll, it allows us to go around the world and promote U.S. exports. Talk about some of the work that you you do as director of trade policy and getting into some of these markets i'm sure there's a lot of as we're building a relationship there's a lot of education that happens with potential buyers in these countries and and just trying to kind of open that line of communication talk about some of the work that you guys do that a lot of our farmers and ranchers may or may not know exactly what you guys are doing sure certainly that's a great question so uh one example i'll use like in africa i, I the average U.S. farmer is probably not aware that Africa has some very bio—some of the countries do not really allow for the importation of biotech. Mm -hmm. And that stems from uh, some bad advice they got from the Europeans. I'll leave it at that. Um, so one of the things we do is we are part of, you know, educating on the safety of biotechnology. We think biotechnology is undeniably safe. It's been one of the most tested food uh, technologies of our lifetimes, overwhelmingly it has been deemed safe. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we work to, in some of these African countries that are not, uh, you know, exactly wealthy countries like you're used to in Europe, uh, the cost that they are, the, the cost of corn per bushel in those countries is extremely high compared to where you would think it would be because they're only importing non-GM corn. Some of the work we do, uh, is work with different international organizations as well as we have, you know, teams, trade teams that go to Africa from time to time and kind of explain this to them. If you would allow GM corn, you can get cheaper corn into your country to feed your animals, to mm -hmm. feed your poultry. That does a couple things. One, it makes your poultry industry more profitable. But two, it helps lower the cost of food so your citizens can use their discretionary income instead of using, this is an example, but say they're using 30 or 40% of their discretionary income on food. Maybe we get that down to 20%. Mm -hmm. They can reallocate the discretionary income in their family budget to you know other things, education, um, housing, what have you, uh, it, it seems surprising to me that they have these policies that make their food so expensive because of some bad advice um, passed down by the Europeans. So that's one of the things we do where, you know, if we could make more headway there, we literally think we can free up money to make these people's lives a lot better with a 
technology that has proven safe. Well, and you mentioned biotech, and I know we have the GM corn issue with Mexico, and that could be a, a whole nother topic we could spend an hour on. Well, it's, very, it's a very similar topic. It's yeah. uh, uh, The president of Mexico is, uh, without sound science to back up his decree, has essentially said he's going to deem biotech corn unsafe for human consumption. He mm-hmm. has not produced uh, reasonable scientific evidence in any way to uh, support that position. Um, and it's the same thing. Their, the first decree they did would have blocked all corn. When we went down and did some education, we we're part of a group called Maisal, which is the International Alliance of Corn Growers. Uh, we pointed out, you know, they enter, they, Mexico imports about 16 million metric tons of corn per year, most of that from us here in the U.S. We kindly pointed out there is no other pile of 16 million metric tons of non-GMO corn in the world for you to even buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they came out with a second decree, they allowed GM corn for livestock production because that's probably 80% of that 16 million metric tons yep. kind of facing reality of, okay, we might have over, um, gone over our skis there a little bit. So uh, it, it's a very similar issue. Uh, we are still fighting that. There's the uh, USMCA uh, trade dispute trade panel, dispute panel yep. that was just announced on that, which we are highly supportive of and thankful to USTR for. But it, it's kind of the same issue. Like They are trying to block biotech corn. They are not providing sound scientific reasoning for it. They are kind of out on an island as the only country in the world to do this. Even the Europeans have approved the traits. Mm-hmm. And they're not trying to do what the government of Mexico is doing. They're also trying to do it specific to corn. What I dare say, there might be some other commodities they are importing that are biotech. Um, so we'll we'll respectfully watch how this panel uh, proceeds. But I think if it proceeds and the decision is made on a scientific basis, I feel good about our chances. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I know, uh, of course, we'll watch that. And we'll continue to watch uh, a lot of the great work you guys do with the U.S. Grains Council. Folks can uh, stay up to date, I'm sure, grains.org. Andrew, before we uh, let you go, anything final you would add that we missed today? Uh, no, I would just like to say, uh, you know, at the council, uh, we are not and I grew up on a corn farm here in Missouri, actually. Um, I had not really heard of the council until I applied for a job there. Um, so we are uh, we work hand in hand uh, with some of the domestic groups they probably are familiar with, corn growers, mm-hmm. soybean producers. Um, but we are doing work overseas for farmers to open up exports. We have kind of a long-term horizon in the work we do. Uh, one of our sayings is we work where the market currently isn't working. So uh I uh, just want to raise awareness of who we are, what we do, um, and uh, thankful for, for the support we get from the farmers. Grains.org for more information on the U.S. Grains Council. With that, Director of Trade Policy, Andrew Brandt. Thanks for joining us here today. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Up next, more conversations from the NAFB convention here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Back with more right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA. Here's a check of what's happening in the market trade on this Friday. Let's take a look at grains and oil seeds first. Corn is up just slightly as we work through Friday's abbreviated session, while the soy complex is uh, down moderately despite flash sales of soybeans to China and unknown destinations announced on Friday morning. Wheat trade is uh, mainly four to eight lower as we work through 
our abbreviated session. While we are seeing triple-digit losses uh, develop across both live at feeder cattle and in lean hogs as well, crude oil down slightly as we work through the Friday session, expecting uh, maybe a little bit of volatility, but mostly low-volume type of trade with many traders expected to be out of this market on Friday with the abbreviated session. We look at those flash sales to China and unknown destinations. Soybeans, uh, 129,000 metric tons to China, 323,400 metric tons to unknown destinations. All those sales for delivery during the 23-24 marketing year. Weekly export sales numbers were out Friday morning, showed lower numbers for corn and soybeans. So overall, these uh, reports not really doing much to influence the trade. South American weather continues to be the big key, especially in this soy complex, as many traders don't want to be long, it appears, heading into the weekend with some unknowns still in that forecast for South America. Stock indices are relatively quiet and mixed as we work through our session. We see the VIX trading near 13 on Friday with the dollar index trading near 103.5. Crude oils down slightly. In the grains, we see corn. That's largely about a penny higher. Soybeans, 7 to 10 lower. And the wheat trade, again, mainly 4 to 8 lower. Livestock showing those triple-digit losses. Could see some volatility as we work through Friday's shortened session. That's a check of the market trade action. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. But you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind to know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, powered by Cenex Premium Diesel, a complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. Jesse Allen back with you here as we continue to listen to conversations from the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri. I was able to sit down and talk markets with Stephen Nicholson from Bank. Here is that conversation from last week in Kansas City, Missouri. Steve, it's good to see you here in Kansas City. Thanks for joining me. It is good to be here. It's good to meet you in person. We've always done this virtually, so it's nice to see you face-to-face. Yeah, it's good to put a face with the the virtual face. Exactly. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Let's dive into what's going on in these markets. Um, Man, oh, man, you know, soybeans volatility oh, I, I think it's just a sign of uh, the the south american weather market that we're in and then yep. you look at corn stuck in the middle doing nothing really and yep. wheat we got a lot of wheat and yeah cheap russian values i mean that's kind of the broad picture i think of just how this grain market's laid out right now yeah and i think it's and i'm i'm going to say this and it's going to be someone's going to say well there's the economist on one hand and on the other hand but you know we've kind of entered a little in my view just a little bit of a time period of kind of the doldrums particularly corn um you know we've got plenty of corn it's not like we're running out of corn and so the market you know does it have a lot more downside here i don't think so um but i also don't think there's a lot of upside here and so i think we're stuck in this kind of you know sideways trading pattern that we're going to be dealing with here for a while uh, because of what we have um, but I will say one thing just in the positive side on corn technically if you look at what's happened in the last week you know we put in and I think the November crop report in some ways put a bottom in this market because we now we know what it is exactly um, but you had a technical you had a key reversal in, in corn uh, that you looked at and go hmm so that's why I kind of wanted the bottoms in yeah um, soybeans different story but not entirely different 
you're absolutely right. A lot of volatility, and you know, Brazil has not had, let's say, a perfect or normal planting season, and so you wonder about where does this all come out in the end? And in in Brazil, also from a producer standpoint down there, they don't like the margins, they don't like the the value of the real, and there we see. It's not a cutback, but it's a cutback in the in the growth of their area this year. We're only thinking about two percent increase this year, and so, you know, we do think that you know I won't say that next last year was a high water mark uh, forever, but it does look like you know you kind of look at it right now is that if we achieve last year's air, air production in Brazil, that might mm-hmm. be the best we do. Uh, could be a little, so we may have expectations up here, and we may be come under those expectations all said and done. But we also have to say, too, the logistics are a challenge in Brazil because you've had a number of things. First of all, you had record corn, record soybean, record sugar crop, and you got to get it all at the same time. And then you have the northern arc on, you know, I, I hate to, this is something makes me sound like the elderly American, but how do you not have, how do you have a drought in a rainforest area? That's true. But, but the northern arc, because of the drought there, they don't have, they're not able to ship out of that area. So a lot of that vessels have come south. And so you have a real big backup, um, you know, in the southern ports to move grain out. Um, and then, as my colleague in, in Brazil said to me last week, he said, we're kind of 19th century. We had to stop loading vessels because it rained. And he said, why, do we, why can't we solve that? But it, it just adds to the, the challenges that Brazil has in front of them from a logistical mm-hmm. standpoint of view. And so I, you know, I think the, the and the soybean market to me is one of those markets on kind of edge. It could go either way pretty fast. Sure. Yeah. Um, and wheat, the wheat to me has been the biggest challenge all year long. It, and if you look at, I don't, yes, we have a little more wheat than we thought we had here in the United States. I'm still, I'm still a little scratching my head at that. But it's also been the market I've been, it's, I, the fundamentals globally and really the fundamentals here in the United States are very supportive to prices. But that Russian export of wheat has, and they've just pounded the world with Russian wheat, has really put the wheat market down. I think also wheat market certainly follows corn a little bit, too. So there's, mm-hmm. it has kind of a double whammy there. But I do think as we get to the back half of the wheat crop here that we could see wheat come back up as Russia, you know, kind of reduces their exports a little bit. They also have their own internal issues to deal with as far as food inflation. Um, and and you, you think about El Nino across southern Asia and India, and their embargoes over time, you know, wheat could get a little tighter. And I think milling wheat will be, and Australia certainly is, mm-hmm. has a more pedestrian crop, an average crop this year. Um, milling quality wheat could be a lot more valuable by the time we get to the last half of the crop year. Thinking about all of these things. Uh, th- yeah, sorry, that was a long Yeah, no, long fas- fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, and it really it, it helps boil it down and put it into perspective. How can our U.S. farmers manage their risk in this environment? Because I think it's no secret the last couple of years have been good years. Farmers right. have made money. They haven't Absolutely. had to market their grain, sell it. Yep. They, you know, they're getting good prices. Now it feels like we're, we're entering that time period. You know, As we know, markets go up, markets come down. Sure. It's, it's that same song and dance we've had <laughs> for years. Right. How do we manage our risk, though, in this environment? Because I feel like the market environment has changed to some degree with the computers and the funds and the algorithms and all of yeah. that stuff. That's a totally different conversation. Right. But yep. how do we manage that risk right now in grains? Yeah, it, it's, and I'm, I'm not going to sit there and say it's easy because it's not. I mean, this is tough. And so I think it's, you know, I'm going to, um, let me, let me um, what's the word I want to use? Echo the banker at this point. You know, understand your margins first. Um, and don't, and I always say, don't try to hit the home run of the glamorous time because you're not. Um, very few people do. So hit those singles and, and doubles if I can make a base nail analogy. But I think when you think about the corn market in particular, rallies have to be rewarded, particularly when you know it could be challenging as we get into 24. So I think you have to think about the rallies and be do that. I think the other thing is make sure you have someone that you trust as a good as a good if you want to say sparring partner or a good advisor so that you get, you feel like you're getting good advice or at least have a good view as to what's all happening around you and be ready for that. And not, and, and don't get caught up in the day-to-day moves in the market. Think longer term and think about, you know, and, and watch technicals as well. And I know that's, I'm kind of putting a lot on the farmer's plate, but I think you have to be 
where before, and you said it very well, the last three years has been relatively easy to make money, and you kind of waited and got rewarded for that. Now you're going to be you have to be a lot more diligent and a lot more um, patient, and at the same time, very conscious of what the market's doing, so that you're paying attention. Because there will be opportunities. Um, the other thing, and, and it you alluded to your question a little bit, is that the trade watches the export market. If the export market's not good, they go, oh, well, mm-hmm. we just sell it off. The reality is, and particularly, you think about corn, we only, we only export 10 to 50% of our corn crop. It's all domestic demand. Yeah. Soybeans, 50-50, but with all the new crush capacity here, and also when you think about Canada and canola, we have more domestic demand that needs that is going to suck those crops up. And we have to remember that. And one of the things we've seen on our baseline uh, models along your 10 years is we continue to see that domestic benefit very, very strong. And so think about where your markets is. Don't think about maybe the, the river port. Um, there may be a local market that you haven't thought about or maybe you need to think about because, and also the livestock producer is your best friend. Yeah, a lot of things to consider. Steve, uh, anything else top of mind for you you would mention or reiterate just about the dynamics in these great NLC markets right now that folks need to remember? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. It's it And it's hard because over the last, I don't want to say 20 to 30 years, agriculture's kind of been left alone and we kind of do our own thing and markets tell us what to do and all that's been sort of internal to agriculture. And now that's changed. You know, the Black Sea the blow up between Russia and Ukraine, and now you have Israel and Hamas, hopefully that stays within them and does not move outside the Middle East. We remember the Arab Spring. Um, and then, of course, all of China. It's, you know, the president and Xi Jinping met today. We're, you know, here at NFB on Thursday. Um, I don't know that it would, I would call it a cordial visit, uh, but it was a good visit. And I think that's always a good thing. But I think to remember about China is their economy will be a little better next year. That's the hope. So I have to say there's a little hope in that as well. But keep in mind, the Chinese, if nothing else, they're pragmatic. And that's why they bought U.S. soybeans, because the price they liked, keep in mind, is a price. And also, the logistics were favorable for them. The last thing about the Chinese would say, too, is that it is all about food security. When you start to look at stocks, and I understand, and I get someone could challenge the stocks numbers, and I mm-hmm. concede that. But when you look at their stocks number, they're near record highs for corn, wheat, soybeans, and rice. And food security is paramount to the Chinese government right now. And so they're going to maintain those stocks. And as they get drawn down, they're going to come back to the world market to get them. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon unless something dramatically changes within the Chinese economy or the Chinese you know, political structure. So the China is still going to be there. But I also remind as I run trade associates and viewers and listeners understand that there's there's markets beyond China, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia's growing growing population, growing incomes. Fantastic thoughts. Steven Nicholson with Robobank. Good to uh, see you here in Kansas City, sir, and uh, appreciate the time. We will uh, talk to you again and have a conversation real soon. Happy Thanksgiving in the meantime. Happy Thanksgiving. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me, and we'll talk soon. And once again, that conversation about the market trade and more with Stephen Nicholson from Bank as we talked to him at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri last week. And some great thoughts and things to think about as far as what has been going on in the market trade here as of late. And so uh, good stuff there from Stephen Nicholson with Bank. On the way next as we wrap up today's program and listen to one more conversation from the NAFB convention, we sat down with Aaron Rogi from Cenex to talk about some of their great products that you hear me talking about here on the show, including Cenex Roadmaster XL, Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster. We hear about some of their winter options as well. We listened into that interview with Aaron Rogi from Cenex coming up here after the break as we'll be back with more AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel on the way right after this. I'm Shanola Hampton. Every day, millions of people face hunger. Today, I will share with you some of their experiences. I'm stuck between paying for medications or paying for food. John from Maine. After paying my bills, I can buy groceries. It's sad to say, 
food comes last. Alice from Oregon. I thought pantries were for less fortunate people, but anybody could be less fortunate in a day or even a second. Claire from Virginia. The Feeding America network of food banks helps provide over six billion meals to people in need each year. No one should have to worry where their next meal will come from. Together, we can end hunger. Learn more at feedingamerica.org. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Mandy Hunnicky, Communications Director with Crystal Valley Cooperative, about how her co-op is fighting food insecurity this winter and holiday season. Mandy, why does Crystal Valley Cooperative support nonprofit organizations in your Mankato, Minnesota area? We know that it's extremely important to support our local communities. Some of those programs that we do support are, you know, going to be focused on the egg education and awareness, basic community support. But we're really passionate about food insecurity in our areas because it's just as big of a problem in the rural areas as it is in those urban areas. Well, tell us about Feeding Our Communities Partners and how Crystal Valley Cooperative has supported the organization. Feeding Our Communities Partners, or FOCP, is a backpack program here in the Mankato area. It also also provides services in the surrounding communities where we're based as well. The program provides meals to food insecure children by discreetly placing it in backpacks of elementary students and providing campus cupboards, I guess is what you would refer to them as, and other programs in the middle school and high school arena. So we've helped out not only financially, but by also packing those food packs that they deliver to students. And we've also helped with deliveries within our communities. Well, Mandy, why is it important to address food insecurity during the holidays and winter months? I'm a parent myself, and I understand that at the holidays, things get really tight, right? You want to give gifts, and you want to show your appreciation, and you want to do all those things. And so your budgets get really tight, and oftentimes that for families can mean trade-offs. And a lot of times that means food, and that's where FOCP comes in and fills those gaps. We've been talking with Mandy Hunnicky, Communications Director with Crystal Valley Cooperative, this week on Around the Table. Mandy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Jesse Allen with you here as we wrap up today's program. One more conversation from the NAFB convention. I sat down with Aaron Rogie from Cenex to talk about some of their premium diesel lineup. Here is that interview. Speaking of Cenex, joining us now to talk about what's happening in the diesel market, Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager for Refined Fuels. Aaron, it is great to talk with you in person here in Kansas City. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Jesse, and just really excited to be with you guys. Well, let's dive in. What's the latest news in this diesel market? How is it impacting farmers currently here as we near the end of the year, Aaron? Well, you know, it, the diesel market's been tight for quite a while, and it's going to continue to be so. Um, and other, you know, potential implications coming up with winter weather and, and you know, expected demand. We just want to get out there and remind farmers it's super important to use, you know, premium diesel fuel um, to ensure that they're protecting their equipment. Um, we don't see that, that tightening easing up anytime soon due to some, you know, refineries coming offline, some converting to renewable diesel. So just really super important that those farmers stay laser focused on planning their fuel supply and their fuel demand well into the spring. It's a critical decision to make. I mean, you think about it, sometimes somebody you know might just say, oh, well, fuel, I'll fill my tank and whatever, right. I'll move on. But it's it's critical not only for farmers to make price decisions more, but just for the health of their machinery and their equipment. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is of peak importance that farmers consider not only the performance that their machines can provide while they're using them, but protecting them over the long haul in the life of that equipment. Regardless of weather fluctuations or age of their equipment, it's super important to use a high quality product. Um, we at Cenex uh, really believe that quality additives and quality technology should be continuously innovated to provide the best protection and performance that we can give to our producers. Let's talk about some of the Cenex products and some of those additive uh, packages you mentioned and just uh, some of the great technology that goes into yeah. your guys' premium diesel. I mean, you know, you know, tell us about it. I mean, what are some of the key features that, that you are excited to talk about when it comes to Cenex premium diesels? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> I there are so many of them, <laughs> right? In our next generation of Cenex premium diesel fuels, we, we recently enhanced our formulation and it's more powerful and more innovative than, innovative than ever. Uh, we've got uh, an advanced aggressive detergency in our package now, which really I think is the foundation that makes this this new formulation just uh, above and beyond. That advanced aggressive detergency is actually 40% more effective at breaking down engine deposits, and it's two and a half times more powerful at cleaning up and removing injector deposits. And we all know that the injectors are the heartbeat of your engine. If they don't work properly, you're going to suffer. You're going to lose power. You're going to lose fuel economy. And again, with those tight markets, fuel economy is more important than ever. We've also got this super cool uh, two-phase total water management system. Mm -hmm. um, and we all know that water is the number one enemy of diesel fuel. But this new um, chemistry uses a two-phase approach at removing the mass majority of the water to the bottom of the tank. So it can be easily drained off to protect the integrity of your fuel. But whatever remains behind that molecular fuel, we're now going to encapsulate that so that it just burns off easily as it moves through the engine. So you're getting total water management and total protection of those critical engine components. I think you already explained it by explaining some of those uh, great points about Cenex premium diesels. But... I have to think a lot of those things you mentioned is really what makes your guys' products different than the competition, right? Oh, absolutely. Our uh, chemistry is, is industry leading, and we pride ourselves in that. We pride ourselves in staying out ahead of the competition, but really having that whole customer focus. What do our producers need to maximize um, their equipment. The other thing that really truly differentiates us is that Cenex Premium Diesel is terminally injected, meaning that our additive technology is precisely mixed at a preci precision blend rate mm. at the terminal. So the producer is getting exactly what they pay for. They're guaranteed that every gallon of Cenex Premium Diesel has the 
the formulation it's intended to have and that it's going to provide the performance and the protection that they're looking for. And in terms of products, we mentioned it quite a bit here on the show. Cenex uh, Ruby Fieldmaster, I know that's more mm -hmm. for off-road applications. Is that That right? is correct, yeah. yes. And then Cenex uh, Roadmaster XL is more you your over-the-highway. So Absolutely. I, I've been doing this for a little <laughs> while now for, with you guys. So uh, I know those are the two big key uh, premium diesel products that you guys correct. have right now, yeah. correct? That is that is correct. But I would be remiss, especially as we sit here in November, to not mention that we do have a winter line of Cenex Premium Diesel Fuels. We have a Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced and a Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster um, seasonally enhanced. And those actually have a cold filter plugging point of down to negative 25. So the wow. shoulder season performance. And then, of course, the Cadillac is our Cenex Winter Master, where you get operability down to negative 30 degrees. So if you're a producer on a dairy farm in, like, northern North Dakota, mm -hmm. and you can't shut down over the winter, and you're out there and you're working, you want to capitalize on the performance benefits that those fuels provide. Fantastic thoughts. And again, I know folks can learn more info, Cenex.com, or find their nearest Cenex location uh, to reach out and have questions answered or just take advantage of all the great Cenex premium diesel products. Aaron, Appreciate the time here in Kansas City. Thanks for joining us at the NAFB convention and getting us up to speed on some of the latest with Sanex Premium Diesel. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. It's always a great time talking to you. Great stuff there with Aaron Rogi, Refined Fuel Senior Product Manager with CHS and Senex. It was uh, good to have a conversation with her at the NAFB convention, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, we are out of time here on the program today, brought to you by our friends at Senex and Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, power to perform. Find their uh, lineup of premium diesel products and more online at Cenex.com. On the next AOA, we'll talk markets with Darren Newsom coming out of the holiday weekend. Weather with John Baranek from DTN. We'll also have a conversation with Mike Neg, the Secretary of Ag for the state of Iowa. So looking forward to all that and more coming up on the next AOA. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800 209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours, at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people. A neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council.